Hey, thanks for tuning in. This is TJ Murphy and welcome to another episode of Adventurous Entrepreneurs. My guest today is Bjorn Bonholzer. Bjorn is a leadership coach, practitioner, and founder of Voyager Strategy, a leadership development and coaching agency where he coaches managers and directors to effectively make the transition and thrive in a role that inevitably comes with greater expectations and higher accountability. He is a writer, sometimes as a ghostwriter for other companies, an aspiring author. He's an adjunct professor, soon-to-be husband, dog dad, trail runner, skier, and all-around adventurous guy who loves a challenge. Just a few of the golden takeaways Bjorn shares in this episode are why you should study people, not algorithms, running your own race, the benefits of being last, and the power of informational interviews. So without further ado, this is me and Bjorn Bonholzer. Welcome to the Adventurous Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm your host, TJ Murphy. Since quitting my corporate nine to five and starting a business while backpacking through Asia back in early 2017, I've had the privilege of learning from some incredibly adventurous entrepreneurs. Through these conversations and my own journey, I've learned that much like in life, entrepreneurship is an adventure. On this podcast, I explore the journeys of top performing leaders in their fields. These wide ranging conversations include tactical business advice, how I built this insights, lessons in leadership, life hacks, travel stories, favorite hobbies, and insights into living a purposeful and joy-filled life. Adventures await us, so let's dive in. Hey, Bjorn, welcome to Adventurous Entrepreneurs. Hey, TJ, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, man, it's an honor to have you on the show. I've been really looking forward to this one ever since we first chatted about it over coffee, back when this podcast was really just an idea I had. And I'm stoked for all of you guys tuning in, guys and gals, to get to know Bjorn because he is one of the most talented learning and development leaders that I know. And he has so much wisdom to share that I'm already thinking we're going to have to have a second podcast episode just to get everything in. But let's dive into it, man. I want to share or start with kind of your path leading to you becoming the adventurous entrepreneur today. Can you share a little bit about your story with us? Yeah, um, I can. Yeah, it, it's it, that the question. The question actually comes at a, a really important time because it the the single most important factor was a person that was a mentor to me in my undergraduate at Central Washington University. His name is Jim Nimnick, and he actually started the HR program in the College of Business, <clears throat> and he was the one that really took me under his wing and saw the potential in me and really took the time to get to know me and help shape what it was that I was looking for both in the academics and and as I was graduating entering the workforce and sadly um, the reason why this is so important or why it comes at a kind of fortuitous time to talk about him is because he's actually uh, in hospice care now I just got a message that he is he and his family are preparing for the next stage of, of life. And um, it kind of dawned on me to really put the pen to the paper this week and reflect on the monumental impact that he's had on me. And so I'm right in the process of doing that. Actually, it's what I was spending my time doing this morning was writing an article specifically on him that I'll share with the world in terms of his importance. But that included... Um, my career has taken me throughout a variety of different industries, everything from technology to public agencies, um, gaming, such as Nintendo. Um, and then I got to a point where I said, you know, I want to do what I want to do. And that's being my own boss and having my own organization and growing it the way that I feel is most important. And the last thing I'll share with that is I'll never forget what our high school graduation speaker said to us. He said, remember, you work to live, not live to work. And that has always stuck with me. And that has always been a foundational and fundamental piece in terms of why I chose to be an entrepreneur. Because ultimately, if you truly do the work that you love, like I do, right, I can be my own boss and I can work when I want to. 
yeah, it's been a cool, it's been a cool journey. Yeah. A hundred percent, man. I mean, that quote especially is one that's, that's always stood out to me. It's we're working to fuel our passions to fuel the time we spend with our family, the things that we do in service of others outside of work. And, you know, I, I'm also, you know, touched by the the fact that you just shared what's going on with Jim. I'm looking forward to seeing that article. We've got to celebrate the legends that come before us and especially our mentors who really shaped who we are today. So yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Let's, let's bring things forward a little bit to what you're focused on today. You're a leadership coach, you're a writer, an adjunct professor, you're involved in some amazing organizations like the Outdoor um, Alliance, where we first met earlier this year here in Central Oregon. You do a lot of really cool stuff in service of others, but what's got you fired up the most right now? And what exactly do you do in your own words and who do you do it for? Yeah, yeah. What do I do in my own words? I think that's a pretty easy way to describe my work is I help others find the potential in themselves. And I do that through three different Voyager strategy. My organization has three focuses. One is individual coaching, primarily for what I refer to as developing leaders. So those individuals that are making the career transition, those pivotal career transitions from uh, high-performing individual contributor to first-time manager or existing manager to first-time director. And I read a statistic that 75% of existing managers have never had the initial training of what it means to be a manager. And that is a staggering number of people who have missed out on the pivotal developmental opportunity to be most effective as they continue to grow. So one aspect is that leadership coaching, where I'm really supporting them in their own journey, right? They're in the driver's seat. They know their organization and their role best. They know the complexities they face each and every day. I'm really there as a support mechanism to help them sort of clear away the chaos and hyper-focus on what it is that they want to achieve. The second piece is team effectiveness or team development. And just on a call today, uh, earlier with someone here based in Bend, so there's nothing more complex than a group of individuals. And everyone comes from different values, norms, beliefs, religions, cultures, languages, nuances, pet peeves, blind spots, all of these different things. And oftentimes there's this expectation that we're going to put these 10 people together. We're going to tell them what the goal is, and then we're just going to send them on their way and expect it for it to work out appropriately. Yeah. And under all of that is, frustration and biases and competing interests and all those different things. And so I work a lot with teams and helping them to create a shared vision, what it means to have awareness of themselves and the awareness of others and hope that they can help to achieve that particular focus of what they're set out to do. And then the third pillar of my work is working with growing organizations to develop leadership development strategies right, to actually say, if we're growing from 100 people to 200 or 250 to 500 or whatever that number is, helping them to think about what are those strategies they need to put in place now in terms of their talent to be most effective and scale appropriately for what it is that they want to achieve, right? Oftentimes, organizations get to that point of saying, okay, we're now at 500 people, and oh, by the way, we haven't taken care of the people that helped get us there, and this is saying, as you think about what that growth looks like, really focus in and sort of begin to hypothesize what is it that we want the people to do in order to be most effective? And let's help to create those strategies for them to be effective, not just then, but now and through the journey of getting to them, right? Yeah, being strategic about how you're going to empower your people and set them up for success yeah. is huge. And I mean, one thing that's clear whenever I've spoken to you is that you're truly passionate about what you do. You love helping people to unlock their true potential. And I'm curious, how did you find that calling? And is there anything you think is helpful for people to consider when it comes to creating a career or you know, business that truly drives them? Like you said, working to live, not living to work, something that they will be excited to wake up on a Monday and get after it for. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, I heard the, I heard the term Sunday scaries one time and that really oh, yeah. broke my ears and I thought, gosh, you know, I very rarely in my career have I ever gotten the Sunday scaries where I don't look forward to going to work on Monday. And as an entrepreneur now, I love that. I love that idea of saying I have a new week ahead of me. And what is it that I get to spend my energy, my attention, my time, my focus doing? And that's a hugely empowering thing. But I think what got me to this point is I just innately have a level of curiosity that I think is uh, helped to support me in terms of what is it that I like to do? What is it that I want to do? And what are those things that I don't enjoy doing? Because if I can remove those things of what I don't enjoy doing, then I don't have to worry about the frustration of what it means to actually go through that process. And that innate level of curiosity early on in my state or early on in my career brought together opportunities to where I could just have informational interviews with people to say, what, what is a learning development consultant? Or what separates talent management from talent development? Or maybe what separates talent management from talent development? And then you have this other thing called leadership development, right? And all throughout my career, I've always had this innate desire to just have informational, uh, informational interviews with people and conversations and saying, help me understand what it is the work that you do. And all of that has shaped who I am now and what I've been able to do on my own. And I'm greatly appreciative for those people who have spent five minutes or 30 minutes or an hour kind of telling me their journey. So that way I can begin to think about what it is that I want to do relative to their experiences. Yeah, absolutely. That was something that actually my wife, Allie, taught me to do was, was ask people to do informational interviews, whether that's when you're looking for a job or you're looking for a mentor. She's just this master networker, especially leveraging LinkedIn and her alumni association, all these communities that she's a part of to really get some airtime with people who you may not think you'd be able to, but yeah. when you do ask, people genuinely care to help. So I'm curious, are there any strategies or tips that you have for people in terms of having those informational interviews and actually getting people to agree to them? Well, interestingly, someone once told me that having an informational interview with someone is easier than you think. And I thought, well, what, what's the catch? What do you mean? And they said, humans have a natural desire to talk about themselves, right? So if you can approach it as, I want to learn about your career, I want to learn about this certification or this profession that you do, in a way that's empowering someone to say, oh gosh, they recognize the value that I'm bringing. And so, okay, I'll share with you what that is. And I think that helped to shape how I approached it, certainly. But I also knew that if, if I sent someone a LinkedIn message or if I sent them an email and they didn't respond, no problem, no problem you know? And, and so I just began to have informational interviews. But what I did do was I started with a very intact core group of people that I knew very well. And then over time, throughout those conversations, I would ask a question, who in your network do you think that I, would, that I should speak with? Or who in your network are you willing to introduce me to? And then I went from the small group to a larger group, to a larger group, and it just expanded by way of networking. Right? And oftentimes people are willing to, to give you 30 minutes of their day, even if they have a really busy schedule, right? Because most people absolutely. really do want to support your growth in some capacity. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that last piece is so key, you know, always asking if there's somebody in their network or somebody that, you know, they think you should speak to next. And on the other side, if you're the one being a mentor or having that, giving that informational interview, you know, asking if there's somebody that that person would want to be connected with. Yeah, absolutely. Givers, givers gain and you never, you won't get what you don't ask for. Yeah. So you got to yeah. do it. I so let's that. paint a picture here, man. What's, well, let's pretend that I'm, I'm coming to you for advice and I'm someone who's just getting into entrepreneurship. I'm thinking about launching a new business or I just recently started one. And I say, 
hey, Bjorn, I, I have this idea. It's a great idea. I really want to build something impactful. What advice do you have for me? And like, what would you recommend that I do or focus on? And how would you break things down through your leadership coaching to really help put me on the path to success, to step into that leadership role? Yeah, I think there are a couple of things. And, and one would be the first question that I would ask that person is how willing and how far are you willing to see this through? And why that's such an important question, I think, for me to understand if someone's coming to me and saying, what does it mean to be an entrepreneur, is because oftentimes people will say, I'm going to leave my corporate job to start a consulting company. And they will rejoin the workforce three or six months later because they didn't make it as a consultant. But oftentimes what happens is it takes a good chunk of time for you to gain that business, for you to gain that clientele, for you to build those relationships that it might not happen. It might feel like nothing happened in the first three or six months. And you say, well, gosh, this is a waste of time. I should have just stayed with my full-time job or maybe kept this as a side hustle. But I think in my case, what I learned is it's that, it's that notion of day-to-day everything looks the same. And then you look back nine months and everything is completely different. I think about the growth that I have made and gained from the time that I left my corporate job to the time now and saying, holy cow, I'm in such a different place mentally, physically, emotionally um, than I was before because I had those conversations to learn about it. So one would be to say, what's your commitment level, right? And then the other one would be, who else have you spoken to about this? Because if you're coming to me and expecting me to give you the answer, and my answer is dependent on whether you make that transition to entrepreneurship, I don't want to hold that level of responsibility. A lot of pressure. (laughs) Yeah, I, I want to hear oh, I have gone to five or 10 or 15 other people and this is what I've heard. And then I'll say, great, tell me those themes that you've taken away, right? And I think that's an important piece is, you know, to really do your due diligence in terms of what effort you're willing to put forward. And then once you've decided to do it, have a close-knit group of people I call them sort of my my advisory group. I have four or five people that I'm in regular contact with, whether it be sending them a text message or a phone call or weekly or monthly Zoom calls where I'm constantly pounding them with questions. Help me understand, what would you do? What didn't work? What do you like about this? What do you like? I'm peppering them and they're so gracious enough to give me their time. But part of that is because we've built that relationship, right? Um, and so I would I would offer any new entrepreneur or thinking about going that space is who are people that you know and know really well that you can lean on to for support, but it's those same people that are willing to provide you with the hard information, yeah. right? You need those people who will will have your back, but you also need those people who are going to push you outside of your comfort zone to say, oh gosh, I never thought about it from that lens. Or yeah, maybe what I'm doing is X or Y. And if I can take their information, if I can learn about their experience and gain their perspective, that's just momentum moving forward. Because entrepreneurship is in some ways a black hole. And it can feel really lonely, right? So the more that you can have that support system, I think you'll just gain a level of clarity day over day, week over week, month over month. Yeah. Building that tribe that can hold you accountable, call you on your BS, not just going to say, oh yeah, you're doing great or agree with everything that you pitch to them or ask for clarification on somebody that can really read in between the lines and call you out when needed and and cheer you on when you need that. I think it's huge. And going back to your first point, which is also so important, 
whenever you're starting something, it's going to take time. That three to six month window, you know, for me, when I started a marketing agency, I treated and I was I was fortunate to have set myself up to where it was sort of a fail safe experiment. I wasn't in a position where I needed immediate income. And so if you can find a way to do that, maybe keeping your current job while you work on your business or side hustle to make it a little less, less risky, that's going to make it easier for you to keep pushing forward. Because the last thing you want to do is be right there, mining away the gold sitting just a couple chips away and you walk out of the cave before you hit the gold. And yeah. it's a lot easier to do that when you have a tribe around you and you've set yourself up and already verbalized to people, this is my plan. This is my commitment. I'm willing to see it through until this point. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're absolutely true. And I, and I took a very similar approach to where I had a, I had a marker a month where I wanted to make that transition from my corporate job to, to my own. And I sort of use that as a, as an ending point, but also a starting point to say, okay, well, now that I have that month in mind, now I can work backwards. Yeah. Right. Rather than working up to that, I can sort of work backwards and say, what are all the things that I need to do? Sort of like the grunt work, filing a business license, creating proposals, whatever it may be, getting getting business insurance, all those things that you don't necessarily think about. And in many ways, those are the things that don't make you money, but you need in order to make money, if you will, right? So getting, getting all those ducks in a row so that way, when it comes time for you to make that transition, you're not just stepping into the deep end within you without any support. You've actually done a lot of the legwork and it makes that transition more smooth. So much easier. Yeah. If you've got the support system, you've got a marker that you can reverse engineer all the steps it's going to take to get there. Yeah. You're already setting yourself up for a much easier yeah. and more likely successful journey in entrepreneurship. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of the difference of you know, jumping in, jumping into the, the deep end versus taking the slide, you know, yeah. take the slide, take the slide, take the slide. Don't throw paint on the wall. Yeah. Don't go in blind. Just take yeah. the slide. Yeah. And you're an aspiring author too, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I've been yeah. thinking about what's, the book a lot lately. So what's, what's the first book going to be about and who will it be impactful for? I don't know. I I'm still working through that. I'm, I'm in some early conversations or stages with some publishers and, and also working with that advisory group that I mentioned to help yeah. think about what it is. My early inclination is to have it be at the new manager level or target the new manager audience in terms of giving them some awareness in terms of what that transition will look like. Um. I've also played around with the idea of from all these informational interviews that I've done, I've extracted one piece of advice from each person to say, give me one piece of advice. What's one success? What's one failure you wish you would have known? And then making a book of all of that, of all those different pieces of advice people have told me. Um, And the learning lesson would be around how I then have use that piece of advice and what my take on it was and maybe how I sort of re-engineered that piece of advice to limit the risk and uh, perhaps create more potential. So that's the book idea. And then I, I also have a, a LinkedIn newsletter called coffee break and it's just tidbits of talent and leadership development and organizational development pieces so that's a cool way for me to put my thoughts on paper and have the audience receive it in, in terms of how they want to. Um, and then I also do a little bit of ghostwriting for for organizations as well. So that's that's a oh, fun. Cool. Tell me, I didn't know that. Tell me a little bit more. Like, what kind of ghostwriting are you doing? It's usually um, it's usually framing emails two particular audiences and those audiences tend to be executives. Um, And it's also helping executives craft messages to their organizations, to their teams, to their peers, et cetera. Uh, 
Um, so yeah, it's been a fun, it's been a fun journey to help them craft a communication that ultimately they, they can, they can then in, uh, take and apply themselves. What I've learned is that through this ghostwriting process, you don't need to recreate the wheel every single time. You can have three or four or five templates and really mold or model each particular thing around those templates. Obviously, it's going to be unique to the person in the organization. But the reality is, is most things can come from those templates in some capacity. Yeah. You find that recipe for success and you personalize it and add the little touches to make it unique to the person you're writing it for. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. And you're a big runner. And I remember you telling me that you ran in the San Francisco marathon back in 2016. Yeah. Was there any lessons that stood out to you from all the training that you did and actually competing in the race? Yeah. Yeah. Two of them. Um, <clears throat> one of them is, is the, the preparation. So I went on to Google and I found, I was just researching what it's like to run a marathon. It was the, the first marathon that I had run. And San Francisco is not an easy marathon to run. Brutal. I did a half there and yeah. it was the hardest thing I've ever done. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, not a, it's not a flat location, obviously. And so it was a challenging one to pick as your first one, but it was also really motivating. At the time I was living in Seattle, so I at least had you know, some hills that I could work with in terms of, of training. One of them was that I, I followed a, a training plan and I followed it to the T. I did not miss a mile. I did not miss a day. It was awesome, but it was also a ton of work and it was a five month training plan, right? And you had one day of rest, more or less every week until you got closer to that particular race. And I think that helped for me to get in the mindset of this is going to be a slog, right? This is going to be really, really, really hard. And what I learned after the fact, or actually during, <clears throat> during the race was that physically I knew I could do it. Mentally was the hard part, right? Because it's so easy to pull over and take an extended break. But for me, I knew that if I stopped and took too long at a rest stop or at a, at a refreshment station, yep. that it was going to be really hard for me to get that momentum and that cadence back because I had stopped, I had stopped the physicalness of what it means to run that race. And so part of it was to say, find that cadence and keep going. When your ankles hurt, when your knees hurt, when your body hurts, when your hips are sore, just keep moving, just keep moving one step in front of the other. So I think there was an important piece in terms of that, that preparation that helped me get to that point and following that plan, um, perhaps so precisely. The other one was, and I learned this as I was training, and I'm a, I'm a self-motivated person. It doesn't take a lot externally for me to get motivated about something that I want to accomplish. And what I found myself doing when I was running was I would find another person who was running. I didn't know the person. I wasn't intentionally seeking out this person, but they might be an eighth or a quarter mile ahead of me. And I would find that person and I would say, okay, that's my target. And the physical target for which I want to get to that person is that landmark over there. And that would be, that would become my competition. Can I get to that person before we get to that landmark? And that also was a really cool self-motivating mechanism that I learned. I but what it taught me was to run your own race, right? Yeah. Don't try to win the race. You're not going to. There are going to be 25,000 people who are faster than you. And there might be 25,000 people who are slower than you. But run your own race. Run it to what you feel is comfortable and confident, right? Run it to what you know you're capable of doing. And part of that was to identify a time that I wanted to complete it by. And I knew that when it came to the race, it wasn't about everyone else who was running past me. It was purely about running 
mile for mile for 26 miles. And I was just running my own race. And I think that's also a lesson in terms of entrepreneurship. Yeah, 100%. It's easy to go on LinkedIn. You know, I'll use leadership coaching as an example. And see the thousands, hundreds of thousands of leadership coaches and you see their content, you think, oh my gosh, they're so smart, they're so talented. How do I get to be like them? Or what do I need to do to, you know, sort of curate these posts that are so eloquently designed, right? The reality is, is if you do that, you're always going to be comparing yourself to them. And you're probably going to get to the point where you say, I'm not as good as them, or I'm not good enough to be in the position that I'm in. And then a deep sense of imposter syndrome kicks in. Yeah. And that's what I would say to entrepreneurs who are either aspiring or in the midst of it right now is, is run your own race, right? Because what you're seeing on LinkedIn is really just a sliver, a fraction of who they are and what they do. And quite honestly, it might not be reality, right? Who you are on the screen might be different than who you are in person. So run your own race, find out what it is that you're good at, find out what you're capable of doing, find that little bit of a stretch in terms that you can push your potential and stick with it, run your race. I love that. Yeah, I mean, what we see on social media is a filtered version of reality. And also, if you're just getting started, or even if you've been going for a while, comparing your chapter one to someone else's chapter 20 or beyond, that's not a fair, fair comparison. So run your own race, you'll get there if you stay consistent. And you know, you're only in competition with yourself at the end of the day. And if you're in service of others and doing things right, good things will come your way. So I made a note here, man, to bring up the time that you climbed Mount Adams in South Washington. Little birdie told me this might be an interesting story. So do you mind sharing it with us? Yeah. So I'll give you a little bit of context. It was, uh, there was a class in my graduate program at Gonzaga University called Leadership and Hardiness. And sort of the capstone project of that course was the class as a as a whole class would climb Mount Adams. And the goal is to reach the summit. But if you didn't, that's okay because there are some factors that might prohibit you from reaching the summit. Altitude sickness, weather, uh, any number of things, right? And so I think the group was, I think it was the class was about 25. So five groups of five. And one of the other things that I share with people who are in a role similar to me or think about making the transition is the notion of um, sometimes being last has the best benefits. And five groups of five, we're going, we're, we're leaving camp uh, and we're, going up to the middle of the mountain where you typically camp overnight and it's called lunchbox counter. And I think it's at 9,600 feet or something. And the group was going to meet up at lunchbox counter. We were going to stay the night there, but really only a couple hours. And then we're going to leave at midnight to make the summit bid up at, up at Adams. And my group was the last group to make it up to lunchbox counter. And that was no big deal. We all made it up there. We all made it safe. But what that meant was the last group who made it up on day one was the first group to leave on day two. And the idea was is that we want the slowest group to then lead so that way, once everyone gets up to a certain point, then they can all make their own they can all make their own bids. But we want everyone to get up to the same point together. And so my group got in last. So our professor at the time, Adrian Popa said, okay, um, you know, group five, you're going to be leading us up there. So, you know, get two hours of sleep, right? We go to bed at 10, we get up at 12, put our, put our headlamps on, put our crampons on, get our ice axe, have little weight where some are still taking backpacks, but you're, you're minimizing your weight just for what you need on that particular day. And we left about 1230, pitch dark, 
it was so dark that you could actually see some of the wildfires at that particular time in Oregon. Wow. It was scary, right, to think that you're, you're witnessing these wildfires expand, but also at the same time, it's a really unique thing to see. You're seeing how far you can actually how you how far you can actually see in the distance. So it's a profoundly cool thing. But what the opportunity was in being the last group was there came a time when we're on this really steep pitch and it's about 1 30 in the morning, completely dark. And I look back behind me, I look down the mountain and I have 24 headlamps following me. And it was the coolest thing that I might have ever experienced. And why I remember that so vividly was because if I was the 24th or 25th person and I was looking up at that, psychologically, I'm thinking, holy cow, look how much more I still have to go. But instead, when you turn around and you're leading this group up and you have 24 people behind you, metaphorically, it's almost feeling like you're pulling them up. You know, you're like you're you're helping them to to reach the destination. And I'll never forget that. That's one of my favorite memories of that particular climb. And over the course of all the adventures that I've done is seeing 24 headlamps look at me and just thinking, holy cow, we're going to do this thing. Right. And then a few hours later, we made it to the top. And it was a beautiful bluebird day on the top of Adams. And we all celebrated. I love it. I love it. It reminds me, we did like a 16 day trek on the Annapurna circuit in Nepal back in 2016. And Turong law is the, the main pass. I forget. It's like 16,000 feet or something yeah. ridiculous. And so we decided we had acclimated well. So we decided we were going to spend the night at base camp, which I forget it's maybe 2000 feet or a thousand feet below the summit, probably like a thousand feet. So it's still quite a push to get up and over. But we, yeah, got like maybe an hour's sleep. I don't think I slept at all because the altitude made it so hard. Got up at like 1 a.m. It's snowing outside. It's below freezing. Everybody's kind of going at their own pace. But by the time we made it to the top, I look back and there's just a string of people all at different elevations coming up behind us. And it was a really, really cool experience to be able to look down and then people show up at the top everybody's stoked they're spent but celebrating together it's it's quite a euphoric feeling after going through something like that yeah yeah i remember there were there were a couple of people that brought that brought rainiers to the top that brought beer to the top nice <laughs> and uh you know by the time that we actually got to the summit was like 7:45 or 8 in the morning you know it, it was still early because we had left so so earlier in the night and i thought like Gosh, never would I want a beer at 8 a.m., but that was the one time where that sip of beer just tasted so good. Yeah, best best morning beer you've ever had, for sure. And in the distance, you could see Rainier and Hood. And oh, it's epic. Just a profoundly cool experience. Yeah, I remember. Like We, we definitely celebrated when we got to the top, but we were at such high altitude. My head was splitting. I just wanted to get down. So did yeah. our like 20 minutes, got our photos. Went down, found a tea house, and then we had our beers to celebrate afterward, which is great. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah the, the altitude adjustment is a is a real thing. Man, it's brutal. Spending that time to acclimatize, even if it's just Mount Adams, which is you know just over twelve thousand feet. Once you hit a certain point, you you physically can feel it, right? Your feels like your your brain is sort of being squished. Yeah. Um, and it's important to to take that time to to get your body to where it needs to be. Otherwise, if you try to push through it, oh, you're you're going to end up in a world of hurt. I've, yeah. We we saw some people with altitude sickness when we made it to the base camp, and they had to get helicoptered out of there. They were like on the brink of death, and mm -hmm. it is not a pretty sight. So, no, it can be a scary thing. Respect Just, it. Yeah. No doubt, man. So you're an adventurous guy, clearly. Do you have any rules or, or habits or, or practices that you, know, you use in your life that really enable you to create more adventure in your day-to-day -day life? Yeah. Yeah. One, I think, um, one is that 
you can spend eight hours doing nothing and not feel accomplished. And then you've lost out on that opportunity to do something fun. Whereas you could, you could work very intentionally for four hours and still have time, still make time for what it is that you want to do in life. And what I've learned over the course of my career, I learned this at a really young age when I was in a hybrid role. I had two different teams, two different reporting managers, two completely different functions. And in order to be that successful or to be successful in that role, I had to, to learn to manage my time. And I sort of thought, okay, if I can learn to manage my time, then I'll be good for the rest of my career, right? Because we put such a strong emphasis on time management. But what I learned actually was not that, not managing my time was not important so much as it was managing my attention. If I could manage my time, inevitably I would manage my, or I'm sorry, if I, would, if I could manage my attention, inevitably I'd be better at managing my time. But just because I put something on the calendar every day for 30 minutes doesn't mean I'm actually going to fulfill it. Right? So you can manage your time without managing your attention, but it's really, really difficult to manage your attention without managing your time. Those two oftentimes happen by way of each other. And I think, you know, as I've, as I've gotten older, uh, and particularly as I've moved into the entrepreneurial space, I become acutely aware of what's required of me to accomplish a certain task. And so therefore I spend a lot of time focusing on my attention and my energy rather than the time that goes into something. Yeah. You got to, especially now where, I mean, I've got Slack, I've got Asana, I've got social media buzzing at me. There's so many things that can steal our attention away. And so having systems to really get into that deep work state and turning off notification. That's one of the biggest things. It's just, I have zero notifications besides phone calls and, and text messages on my phone. I don't want to get pinged for any push notifications from Facebook or yeah. even Slack. I turn off on my phone. I'll only have that on my desktop just so I can unplug at the end of the day too, because there's yeah. always something that you could be doing when you're an entrepreneur. So yeah, I have a timer or excuse me, a timeline on my phone that I don't go above every single week, right? Nice. And that helps for me to, to manage the misattention with the social medias that, that compete for me to, to give them their energy. And that has been a really impactful thing. You know? Yeah, I wish I, I actually have that too. And I am not the best at using it always. <laughs> But that's because my work draws me onto social media so much. And then it's so it's designed to be so addicting. You go in there with like one strategic objective, but then you get distracted and 10 minutes go by. You're like, oh man, I came to send one message to one person. <laughs> Look what I've done. So yeah, yeah. All right, Bjorn. Or go ahead. Go ahead. So that point about social media and the and the algorithms, that's also another thing that I heard someone share to me was you know, as you're starting out on this entrepreneurial space is study people, not study algorithms, right? Mm -hmm. Don't, don't spend so much of your time trying to perfect the perfect post when you could be having conversations with people that are going to provide you with some really thought provoking and necessary information that you can actually leverage. Yeah, hundred percent. I think that was the biggest mistake I made when I started my business is I was focused on the wrong things, building a website, the latest trends and hacks in digital advertising, which are important to know, important to have a website. But the most impactful thing for me running a marketing agency was getting in front of people, having conversations with business owners, providing value to them, building up my name, creating an authority for myself in the space. And you have to do that with human connection, getting yeah. out there networking and meeting people and having those informational interviews, whatever your strategy is, that's... Yeah more often than not going to be the most important thing when starting a business. Yeah. The relationships, relationships. everything comes from the relationships that you build. hundred percent. Right? All right, man. Well, as we wrap things up, this is my favorite question that I like to ask every guest, a choose your own adventure question, if you will. So yeah. you can pick which one you'd like to answer or both if you so desire, but 
Number one is what's your favorite place you visited in the last five years? Or number two, what is just a favorite adventure you've gone on in the last five years? And in either case, what was it like? What made it so memorable? Who were you with? What was your favorite meal or, or drink you had? Kind of paint a picture for us. Yeah. Wow. So the when you asked that first question, the first one that came to mind, which happened five years ago, was I took a I, I did a solo trip for about a month in Thailand. Awesome. Profoundly cool. And it was it was just incredible. And why it was incredible is for a couple of reasons is um, my first friend in kindergarten, actually, that I've stayed in contact with since then, she was living with her husband in Bangkok. And so when I flew in and flew out of Bangkok, I got to spend time with them, which was so cool. And she has a, she was running a nonprofit that supported um, low income individuals with food preparation. It's called Courageous Kitchens. It's a really cool space that she has. And we would, I was with her when she would do cooking classes and go deliver food to those people that were poverty poverty stricken. And to see the poverty, the, the, the thing in Thailand that most people don't go to see, right? You go to the beaches in the South or to the jungles in the North. And I did those things, but there was also a couple of days where I got to see the impact that she had on the Thai population uh, that was profoundly, profoundly impactful. Um, so that was one. Uh, yeah, that's that's the one that really sticks out to me as, as, a, as a, the most recent or within the last five years of adventure. I love that. Yeah. And so when you were there with her, did you get to volunteer at all or, or take part in what she's doing or are you just kind of there to observe I did I did participate a, a little bit but she really knew what she was doing so I didn't I wanted to you know be out of her way of but what I what I did spend time doing was just interacting with the individuals right and um you know I didn't I didn't speak Thai I don't speak Thai and oftentimes those individuals don't speak English and so it was a very it was a, a broken conversation in terms of what we were actually to communicate or to the to the degree that we were able to communicate but the one thing in this world that's universal is a smile yeah. right? and see the smiles to see their faces light up when Christy and her her organization were were preparing these meals and delivering the food and doing what they do that goes so unnoticed, that's the type of thing where you want to contribute to the best of your ability, but you also want to sit back and observe and see the impact of what it's happening. So that way you can share with people who maybe don't have the opportunity or who have never been to the slums of, of Bangkok, right? Yeah, so true. And a smile can say a thousand words. I've experienced it myself through our travels. And it's always shocking to me how much you can communicate, even if you don't speak the same language, just Mm -hmm. with a few words, a smile, hand gestures, just sharing an experience together. Many things can go unsaid and be perfectly understood. So, all right, man, what ask challenge or parting advice do you, you have for my audience before we wrap things up and I ask where people can find you online, socials, all that jazz. Yeah, I, I think my piece of advice, just as it relates to this particular podcast, right, being adventurous and, and being an entrepreneur is, I think every entrepreneur has an adventurous side, right? You you have to, you have to be willing to, to step outside and do something uncomfortable that has a risk of failure, right, of not making it to what you want it to. And the thing that I would say is take that risk, right? If that's really, really something that you want to try, try it, do it. Even if it doesn't work out to what you imagined, right? You might have a, something that you can fall back on. Maybe it's another role or the same role that you're in or a new or same organization, whatever it may be. But don't spend your time thinking about what could be 
when you could be spending your time thinking about what it will be, you know, do it, do it, take the shot. You'll never know unless you do go get after it. Well, Bjorn, my man, this has been a blast. I had a host of other questions for you about leadership and how to successfully transition or step into becoming a great leader and, and thriving in difficult situations. So I think we're, we're just going to have to hold myself to what I said at the beginning of the episode about having you back it. on at some point down the line for another conversation. I love it. Let's make it happen. Yeah, man. Until then, though, where can people find and, and learn from you and support you online? Websites, socials, things like that. Coffee Break is a great resource. We'll link to that. But where can yeah. people find you? Yeah, I would say let's connect on LinkedIn or you can follow me on LinkedIn. I try to I try to post stuff as as necessary and relevant to the work that I do. Uh, you can also, uh, listeners can also subscribe to my newsletter. Again, it's on my on my LinkedIn page there, it's simply called Coffee Break, exclamation point there. And what it's intended to be is short enough articles that you could read within one, one cup of coffee, right? Um, four or five minutes that you just wanna sit and enjoy or take a coffee break and, and read about some information. So that's a free newsletter that the listeners can subscribe to. The other free asset that I'll share with listeners is every month I host what's called a leadership roundtable, and it's open to eight individuals. It's always held on the second Wednesday of every month via um, Google Meets from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And it's, it's purely just a free open forum that leaders of all levels can come to. Uh, we have a rotating agenda. Sometimes what I'll do is have it be um, without a particular topic, and we'll just come together and talk about what's top of mind for the participants. Or like for next week, December 14th, we have one on influencing up, down, and around. And what does it mean to be able to be that middle manager who's squeezed from the top and punched from the bottom and to be able to use those mechanisms to influence up, down, and around with their peers? So that's always on the second Wednesday of every month. Again, it's called the Leadership Roundtable. I limit it to eight participants just to have that close-knit group of connection and community. And then lastly, you can check out my website, voyagerstrategy.com. Awesome. Well, we will put all of that in the show notes for everyone listening. And thanks again for sharing your story, man, and, and dropping some valuable golden nuggets for everybody today. I appreciate you, brother. And I'm looking forward to continuing to follow your journey and learning from you along the way. Yeah. So, thanks so much. Until next time. Look forward to the next one. Absolutely, brother. To all of our adventurous listeners, thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Please be sure to subscribe, download, and share this on social media or with someone you know will get some value from it. Leaving a review goes a long way in helping people find the show. And I personally appreciate reading them when they come in. So please go drop one if you have the time. We'll see you all next week. And remember... Whether we're talking about business or the things that bring us joy outside of work, life is meant for exploring. So go out there and live it one adventure at a time.